we'll just get started. Great. Amazing. Right. We're all going. I'm just waiting for it to catch up a little bit. Because you've frozen on my screen. Oh, really? Oh, no. I mean, you're smiling, so you look oh, very happy. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay, cool. As long as you're there, it's all good. Uh, right. Hi, and welcome back to Safe Space, the official Safe in Our World podcast. For those who don't know, the main goal of Safe in Our World is to create and foster worldwide mental health awareness within the video games industry. My name is Rosie, and today I am joined by Carla Reyes, who is the product manager at Niantic, head of business development at Code Coven, was in the Forbes 30 under 30 last year, I believe, uh, was the organizer of the UN Playing for the Planet program, a global shaper for the World Economic Forum and partnerships manager for in games and probably so many more as well because there's just so many things on your LinkedIn it's amazing <laughs> oh gosh many hats yes thank many you hats so much for having me <laughs> thank you I for always say on. my favorite <laughs> no thank you I always say my favorite hat to wear is my Pokemon trainer hat oh I love that <laughs> amazing <laughs> but yeah you've done so much stuff it's so cool <laughs> Oh no, it's uh, it definitely takes a village. I feel like um, I'm very supported, so I'm very grateful. It's not not me alone, that's for sure. Well, I uh, I'm very impressed. I mean, being on Forbes 30 and 30 is is huge as well. So, congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. If there's anything that I've missed, if there's any like, have you got any fun pets, hobbies, terrible stories? I'm here for it all. Oh gosh, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I am also a DJ. <laughs> that's that's my, so cool. Are you kidding? <laughs> my, my side side hustle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's just a nice outlet. I, I it's it's so difficult because there's so much, so many activities that one can immerse in. And as game developers, you know, we have to spend so much time playing games as well. Uh, and I know we're going to dig into that in a moment. <laughs> I'm sure, but um, I think games and music are two of the the primary. Uh, activities that I try to focus and invest my time in. I love that. I, I feel like I'm I'm not a DJ, <laughs> but I do love music and I love um, video game music as well. Like I've started listening to a bunch of playlists that are all like video game related yeah. or like soundtracks because most of them don't have words and it's really nice because I feel like I'm actually really focused on what I'm doing and staying true to my brand. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I do. I listen to a lot of video game OSTs while working as well. Nice. Have you got any favorites? Um, I do actually the the Donkey Kong Country 2 soundtrack. I like a lot of the nostalgic sort of retro. Nice. <laughs> yeah, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Oh my God, you should do a DJ event, but it's like incorporate. You've probably already done this. Incorporating <laughs> video game music. <laughs> I'm trying to do it at GDC. I, I DJed a couple of the um, after party events and I was like, all right, I'm going to see how I can get video game music oh in, in, embedded here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would be so good because I reckon everyone in there would be so nerdy and so excited. Exactly, well. and recognize. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, yeah, but thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. I've got so many questions, um, and one of them is about Code Coven. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about what Code Coven is here for, uh, why it's so important, and what your role is within that. Yeah, absolutely. So. Code Coven is a global accelerator for underrepresented talent, and we're primarily focused on the games industry, but um, a lot of the projects that come out of Code Coven are interactive experiences that just transcend what 
we know as traditional games. But the whole idea behind it, so it's actually um, started by Tara Mustafa, who's an industry veteran, and um, she's been in the industry for over 18 years. Uh, and having you know started, you know, over, at that time, she didn't have any female mentors that she could look up to. So she wanted to create a safe space for marginalized game developers to learn and grow. And it started with just a course, so um, a Unity development bootcamp uh, that was back in 2019. And since then, it's really uh, expanded tremendously, especially because I think in 2020, you know, during the pandemic, not only did people sort of turn more to remote work and there was more access and opportunity to online learning, but um, there was also a resurgence of social justice movements like the games industry went through its own Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, it was catalyzed again. And so I think there was a lot more attention to diversity and inclusion and the need for uh, society to, yeah, essentially move the needle and bridge this gap in a lot of different industries. And so um, we've since expanded our programs to support uh, not just courses, but uh, accelerators, game jams, and a lot of different activities. And the the whole objective is to increase representation at all levels within the industry. So really reducing barriers to entry for people who have zero game development experience through to people in leadership roles and making sure that they are nurtured and that they stay, you know, they want to stay in the industry and support them. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. I've, I've definitely seen uh, one of the game jams before from Cocov, and I think it was it mental health related? Uh, yeah, so we've had two and there were definitely mental health topics uh, that were sort of intertwined within both. So one we ran with UN Women last year, which was called Safe Spaces Now Game Jam. So it was actually specifically Safe Spaces Now is a campaign that uh, UN Women run that's focused on raising awareness about harassment and abuse against uh, women and girls, so people of marginalized genders. And... Um, that was the theme that we were exploring through the, through the game jam, and then we ran another one in partnership with a few nonprofit organizations that support um, domestic workers and carers, caregivers, uh, and that was to shine a light on you know caregivers and yep. narratives of receiving and giving care. Yes, that's that's the one I've I definitely remember because I was having a conversation with someone about it and talking about carers within the industry because I think that's one thing that not many people are really talking about and there's actually so many yes. um, and I didn't realize either and so I did a piece kind of exploring lots of different people's experiences and um, and resources and things that they found to be really good and that was one of the things that came out of it where they were like did you see this care jam that co coven did and I was like that's so cool no I didn't but now I know about it <laughs> it's true and it's just a demographic of, of people that we don't as you say right people aren't really aware and I was pleasantly surprised to see I think I was going through a BAFTA application for something and when they were asking about demographic backgrounds, one of the questions that came up was, are you a caregiver? Because I think it's important, right, to note, and, I, and we're seeing it, obviously, during the pandemic, it's much more salient because of working from home and, you know, working mothers or working parents in general. And, and that's just one very small slice of the broader care community. Right? Yeah, it's awesome. And it's something that I think I'd love to see continue to grow within this industry as well because like you said it affects a lot of us especially now that a lot more people are remote so yeah amazing um and kind of speaking of that sort of care and accessibility as well um 
I know that you are a accessible player experience practitioner, which is yeah. a very cool title. Um, and is that with Able Gamers? Is that right? That is actually, yeah. So Able Gamers run a fantastic training program um, on accessible player experience. And that was something that I was trying to um, really lead when I was working at Square Enix. Uh, well, one of the things that drew me to mobile games in general, I know it tends to get a bad rap sometimes in the broader games industry, but um, what I appreciated about mobile games is is this wide accessibility from, you know, uh, especially from an economic perspective, just that people in, um, you know, more remote regions or people who, uh, of, you know, lower socioeconomic statuses that might not be able to afford consoles do have access to mobiles and they can access games that way but um there is so much more and it is it's it's interesting because accessibility does fall definitely within the you know the diversity and inclusion umbrella um there's such a wide range of disabilities and invisible disabilities that you know people really aren't aware of and that we need to be mindful of when when we're creating experiences for audiences Awesome. And so have you kind of used the experience that you got during Able Gamers to apply that to the role that you're in now? Or is it something that you kind of picked up as you went along as like a little side project? I try to. Um, I try to convert the side projects into the main projects if I can. <laughs> of course, uh, but yes. It's, but it's definitely challenging, I will say. I think um, especially when you're at a larger scale studio that might not necessarily have accessibility embedded into its DNA. And so having to sort of retroactively um, consider it is is much more challenging. And so something that we try, you know, that we learn through Able Gamers as well is, uh, you know, really try to think about it from the start um, in your pre-production phase when when you're considering building your game and, and thinking about how, how to make it accessible. And also that, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to make it accessible to everybody at the end of the day, as many as, you know, as many options as you'd like to have. The reality is that because we're humans and so complex and nuanced, you're not going to be able to cater to everyone. And, and you just have to decide, okay, well, who is your target audience? And how can you make it the, you know, the friendliest and most accessible as you can be within that scope? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it can be quite daunting, especially for, um, maybe more indie developers who don't really have a team behind them to help them with this sort of thing. But I love the idea of it not being an afterthought because I think for a lot of games it is, especially, um, I would say even some of the bigger studios is finally like clicking that they can add more accessibility features and stuff, which is great. And I want to see it continue to go, but like also just from a, a generic sort of player perspective, making your games accessible it's just going to widen your audience of people who are going to play the game. So it's like, it's a win-win, really. Absolutely. <laughs> I um, I do love your point as well about mobile games. I think that they are huge for a lot of people who maybe don't consider themselves gamers. Or like, for example, my dad is obsessed with this little golf game on his phone. And <laughs> he didn't really see it as a game for so long um, until I had this conversation with him. And he was like, well, I guess so. And then we talked about Wordle for a while. And then he told me about something else that he'd found. And I was just like, you know, this is all games, right? It's all in the industry. And he was just like, well, I guess, yeah, I just didn't really think about it because I don't have a PlayStation. And I was just like, it's fine. It doesn't I matter. This it doesn't is have to be on console. It's a stereotype or a myth that we need to debunk, you know, as an industry. And I think it's changing a little bit as we see it ballooning. The pandemic certainly has, you know, increased the 
segments and, and population of gamers, so to speak. And you're right, a lot of people aren't self-proclaimed gamers because they don't see themselves as the core gamers. But this is something, too, that I think, um, you know, this can cause imposter syndrome among people in the industry, too. And I think it's something that we need to be more mindful of and talk about more. Yeah, totally. Like I was chatting to someone the other day and I asked them if they played games and they were like, oh, well, I don't really I don't really see myself as a gamer. But I did play Animal Crossing and I played this and I play this all the time and this. And I was just like, but why don't you consider yourself a gamer? And they're like, I don't know, like I don't play Call of Duty. And I was like, I don't play Call of Duty. I don't care. <laughs> it's um, oh, It makes me so sad because it's like I feel like there's this and I don't know if you've you would agree as well, but there 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 seems to be some short, sort of shame element within playing games with a lot of society. Like it's for some people, it's very it feels almost embarrassing to admit that you play games for people because I've had the same thing where someone's like, "Why are you doing that? It's a waste of time. It's for kids." Like all of that sort of thing. And even though I'm not ashamed to play games, I still think there's something inside me that's like, "Oh, but you should be maybe just a little bit." <laughs> If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I don't understand why this stigma exists. And maybe it is because of historically the sort of notorious reputation that video games has had that's typically associated with uh, either toxicity or violence or, yeah, this nerdy culture that people just sequester themselves for hundreds of hours. And and yes, there are people who do that, but that's, you know, and, and maybe that gives them, that brings them joy, that gives them pleasure. There are so many different reasons. You know, we're thinking about accessibility as well. And, and people who, I was discussing this the other day with a friend um, who works with autistic children and the fact that video games have really served as a sanctuary and haven for autistic, you know, um, People and I know I'm sure that you you know work with a, a few other organizations or you know have partnered with the likes of Autistica and maybe you know a lot more than I do. Love about Autistica. I was literally yeah. calling them the other day. <laughs> exactly. No, I see. I'm, I'm not remotely surprised. And um, and this yeah, this really fascinates me. And I think we need to be raising more awareness about the benefits of video games and and how. And I know you are doing that actually. So um, <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm here. <laughs> I love it. And there are so many organizations that are doing that as well. And I, I just find it fascinating that it's um, it's growing the way that it is. And there's a lot of different, you know, companies that are, are doing more about like even education in games and how we can use that within schools. And it's more of a positive experience rather than consistently seeing the one side of it that the media insists that everybody sees all the time, which is still a thing. And it still makes me mad, but we digress. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, so you, you used to work at Square Enix and one of the things that you did whilst you were there was you founded or co-founded something called Square Enix Red, which is a research group on racial and ethnic diversity. Um, and I wondered what prompted the launch of, the, I mean, I, I think I might have an idea about what prompted the launch of it, but I'd love you to tell me a little bit more about how it came about. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, that group started in 2020 and it was certainly uh catalyzed i think by the the social movements that i was alluding to earlier right i think just and also that there was a lot of dni work in the industry that had started to pop up and um the head of um the mobile publishing studio at the time ed perkins he's a strong fervent advocate of, of diversity and inclusion and you know asked me if um, I wanted to help get this group started. And I had done similar work in previous 
industries because that was actually my first job within the games industry. But I, because I had been volunteering for Bayman Games already and involved in those sorts of discourses, um, I, I suppose I was kind of well-placed to, to help get that started. And um, so my colleague Rahul Johnny and I um, started this this group and essentially the, the idea of it was to create a safe space firstly right for um, our colleagues to openly discuss topics around diversity and inclusion so we tried to do some information sessions on topics like microaggressions or um, but also serve as a hub for um, other teams to you know uh, reach out to us if they had any questions around this topic. So we were also serving as sensitivity consultants for uh, some of the content in um, in the games that were being developed across different teams. And I think it was a great way for us to just exchange ideas and knowledge and, and learn because I think this type of topic is something that's a continuous learning journey for everybody involved and it's constantly evolving and it's very challenging to keep up. You know, it's like even just the way that... Um, for example, the term BAME in the UK, right? It, it was uh, recently surfaced as being quite antiquated because of um, it was not capturing the entirety of uh, the demographic groups that it meant to, or, you know, there's a lot of um, different, uh, yeah, debates and discourse around it. And I think it's, it's something that we need to keep talking about so that we can keep moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it's, it's hard to like stay up to date with everything that, that's going on, but it's not an excuse not to try and do it, I guess. Um, and I'm always like, I even with mental health as well, there's always things that I'm learning about consistently that I'm like, didn't know that, I'm going to try and do that more. Or like even um, the like acronyms for things that mean other things that I didn't realize. I'm like, oh my gosh. But it's I find it really interesting because it's like a constant learning opportunity. Um and I always find that if anyone ever like asks me about X, Y, and Z and why I'm doing it, it's like nice to be able to say, oh, well, I actually saw this thing. And like, maybe it was on Twitter. Someone like educated me about this, this, and this, and it's really cool. And this is why. And I just, I love that culture so much instead of the sort of shaming and negative sort of aspects that come with it when people are genuinely trying, but don't quite get it right. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, I love that there's a group all about this <laughs> um, within Square Enix, but also with Baming Games. And there's so many different things um, kind of going on to champion that, which is awesome. Um, well, you're doing it as well. You know, so. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, you are succeeding <laughs> from what I understand. So. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh yeah, it's a journey. Like I, uh, even with mental health, I get really still imposter syndrome about talking about it, even if it's something that I'm like, yeah, I've lived with this for 25 years and I'm still like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about it. And like, obviously from a professional standpoint, no, but from a, you know, lived experience, you can't really argue with someone's lived experience. It's how they feel. It's how it is. So it's, uh, yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. That's if that's something that anyone can take away. It's like your own experiences are valuable, and you know, it's a uh, it's good to talk about them. So completely, and especially. we want to hear those stories. Right? Yes, exactly. This is what the podcast is all about. <laughs> um, so I also know about you from. I feel like I'm a stalker. I. <laughs> 
Ben has told me a lot about you, Ben, our uh, colleague at Safe in Our World, and he is also a huge advocate for the Playing for the Planet game jam um, yeah. that I think you organise. And I'd love to talk about that and kind of the best moments that you've seen come out of it and, um, again, like how it got started. Because I feel like everything that you're doing is all like games for good, and I love it so much. It's all like really positive. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to chat a bit more about the Playing for the Planet. Sure. So I cannot take credit for that. That was definitely um, started by the UN in, you know, with, with some larger uh, studios. And so what um, the UN initially, or its UN Environment Program, um, started the uh, Playing for the Planet Alliance. And that was essentially um, a bunch of studios that came together. And the objective was to, um, well, reach and teach 1 billion gamers about climate change. And that was kind of the objective of the Green Game Jam. But there's also a bunch of different pledges that each studio commits to in relation to becoming either um, carbon neutral or negative and uh, just in general becoming greener, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so my involvement was uh, simply just that I I found out about this. I got super excited because I'm just, you know, I, I was keen just start, just uh, entering the industry and really uh, appreciated the, the unique platform that video games have as um, a way to raise awareness about these topics and actually catalyze behavioral change. Um, and so that's kind of what's happening right now. So the, the Green Game Jam is... In, I think now it's in its second year and uh, we, yeah, so basically a bunch of studios uh, participated and they um, implemented different activations um, that are called green nudges. And that could have been anything um, related to aesthetics, gameplay mechanics, um, an event, you know, and different studios did it differently, but um I think some, yeah, some cool, uh, well, there was a level in Monument Valley, for example, us two games are a strong um, advocate of it, obviously, you know, Ben um, is uh, married to Jennifer Astaris, who's a game director at us two games, and they're, they're mm-hmm. wonderful. And so that was, um, you know, like a forest themed level, because um, each year the, the jam is themed around a different um, topic within climate change. And uh it's just been really wonderful to see the the sheer passion that people have, but not just around raising awareness, but actually thinking about how do we measure this now? We're at the point where, okay, we've actually gotten some data now with, with players. There, there, there have been millions of people who've accessed this content and in terms of following through what we were talking about earlier, right? Like, okay, are we seeing any change? Is, is, the, is the needle being moved? Um, and I believe that there is a research study that it has yet to be published, but there is something in the pro- in um, in the process of being um, written. So it's exciting. That was going to be my next question. I was like, "What did they find?" Because it's so interesting, and like yeah. being in its second year, that's still like quite young, considerably. So it's so exciting that if there's already research going on now. Yes, um, exactly. Which it needs to, because the planet is falling apart. Yes. <laughs> um, that you know, there's, there's hope for the future, which is really cool. Cause, um, yeah, I feel like it's what half the planet games, like there's so many opportunities to be able to get the message out to people in a really creative way. That's not just like where people switch off cause it's a presentation. Right. So <laughs> exactly. it's, um, 
Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. And like with, so were there any other examples? I know that you said that us two had like a forest themed level, but were there any other kind of things that you remember that people did during the jam? Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean, I know that Pokemon Go had, uh, you know, a, a, an Earth Day t-shirt. And actually, this wasn't part of the Green Game Jam, but actually something that Niantic did with um, their Pokemon Go player base was organize a beach cleanup, which was really cool because mm-hmm. it's, you know, Niantic games are actually focused on real world interaction and social interaction. So they were able to... Um, create a live event so that people, um, all the players could get together and actually, um, and this is like the, you know, <laughs> the actual like behavioral change here that you're seeing, right? It's like ca- this, a game or a studio has actually um, catalyzed this movement, which was uh, quite cool to see. That's amazing. That's so cool. I love the idea of just like people running around a beach trying to find Pokemon, but also picking up stuff. Yes, the way. yes like, exactly. <laughs> that's very sweet. <laughs> Oh, I love that. It kind of makes me want to go back to Pokemon Go. You should. I want to be a proponent of it. <laughs> yes. I should. I uh, At the time when it came out, I didn't really have anyone to go and play it with because none of my friends were like into it. And so I just kind of downloaded it and then never really did anything with it. And I was really sad about it because then like four years later, I met loads of nerds that were like, yeah, you should have done it. Like, did you, did you do it? And I was just like, kind of. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, oh, I love There's- that. There are still millions of people playing and there are many in London playing. So I'm sure, especially this summer, if you go out, you'd be bound to run into some people. Honestly, I think we could make it a thing. I'll do a convention of Pokemon Go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thank you so much for that. Um, I've got two more questions for you. One of which is about mentoring, um, because I know that you've spent time kind of supporting students and people who are new to the industry as well. Um, and I wanted to know what your top tips are for kind of coming into the industry, especially if you're maybe already struggling or, or if you're from a background that's marginalized by society or something that might be standing in the way. Um, because I know that that's a huge thing and could be quite daunting for people looking to get a career in games, but not really knowing where to start and what support systems are in place. Um, so yeah. Sure. So is the question around how to enter the industry or once you're in the industry as a marginalized person, you know, how do you seek support? How do you find support? Is it, or is it kind of both? I think it's both. Okay. Let's go with both. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So in terms of actually trying to enter the industry I, I yeah that's definitely a daunting concept because well firstly finding a job in general is a very daunting concept yeah. and secondly <laughs> finding a job in an industry that is notoriously difficult to get a job in um, this is why I'm very grateful for advocacy groups and organizations like Code Coven that really do make an arduous effort to support marginalized people in entering the industry and, and Bayman Games was certainly a, a platform for, and forum for me to get that support initially when I was um, starting out and just being able to reach out and speak to other marginalized people in the industry. And thankfully now there are, there we're growing, you know, we're a growing segment, um, which is exciting. And I think, you know, people should not be afraid to reach out and, um, you know, either via social media, many are very active on Twitter and, and LinkedIn, just what I had started to do is follow a lot of the advocacy groups. So, you know, you have like, 
POC in play, the Bayman games, Code Coven, safe in our world, right? I'm sure you already have a strong mentor community. Um, anyone that's within Yuki's Raise the Game initiative for those in the UK, right? There's um, Limit Break mentorship. There are so many different groups that are will welcome you with open arms if you're somebody who is just curious about the industry in general. And then same for once you're there, right? Being able to have these dialogues with people, um, you know, most uh, of the people that I've met, almost everybody that I've met within these these spaces are are genuinely supportive and wanting to help. So they will make the time, you know, even if it's just 30 minutes over a Zoom chat or a coffee chat or um, whatever it is for um, for you to get that uh, initial inspiration and, and, and support. But it, it is challenging, right? I, like even I, I was thinking today, actually, that I would like a mentor and that I should look for a mentor because I've just gone through this life transition of um, moving to a new city and, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- having to uh, like juggle all the, the personal aspects of that in addition to the professional aspects and managing, you know, everything, all the many hats that I'm wearing within, within the industry and um, being mindful that when you're helping others too, like it's, it's okay to ask for help too right you don't have to be the one in the, in the, 100% in the especially speech, if you yeah. you've run out of energy to give to other people because then it can be like that awful cycle where you start to feel guilty because you don't have the energy to help other people and it's just like it's okay to ask for help I do it all the time <laughs> exactly no I, I and I, it's funny because I've spoken with other mentors and they they say the same they're they, they don't want to ask for help because they're just givers but we also need to be mindful that we need to take care of ourselves in order to take care of others too right yeah, it's even like therapists have their own therapists, right? Exactly. It's the same sort of concept, just on a slightly lower scale, but it's really, it's fine. It's okay. Like, I I always think you should have someone to look up to, and you, you see it in, like, all of the media, I guess, even, like, people who are at the top of the top, they're like, oh, yeah, I was inspired by this person and this person and this person, and that's really cool because it's not just about once you get to where like where you're happy being like quote unquote successful that you don't look up to people anymore because it doesn't quite work that way (laughs) oh totally I think there's an endless ladder right you can never stop climbing and and not just for yourself right the whole idea hopefully would be to be able to (laughs) to bring joy to others especially in the video games industry that's that's kind of our our mantra yes absolutely so with game like are, are you much of a gamer yourself I, I guess I could call myself a gamer even if I'm not <laughs> is this what you're like no I'm not a gamer but I do play this this this, this. yes exactly so yes of course I, I mean I'm constantly having to play video games um, and something that I've talked about with other game developers is how do you strike that balance um, between just playing games for leisure and fun versus your market research versus your play testing on what you're actually building right because like you have to be doing that um, and so yes I do play many games <laughs> What is the balance? Have you found it? Because I would be so curious to know. Um, I haven't found mine yet. And it's really hard because it's, we get asked a lot to try out like mental health related titles, which is amazing and often is like really insightful. I love it. I love that part of my job. Don't get me wrong. It's also exhausting (laughs) Uh, playing through a lot of people's own stories and their own journeys in mental health in game form or um, like portrayals of mental health. Like I've recently just started playing Hellblade um for senua sacrifice and it's incredible but it's also very tiring (laughs) and i imagine that's probably the same with a lot of like heavy narrative driven games as well but also when you do it for a job it does feel like work even though it's 
for a lot of other people it will be seen as fun um so how how do you find the balance <laughs> yeah i think it's uh constantly being iterated and it really depends on the context um one of my former mentors had actually told me something like you know almost like a third a third a third so spend you know um a few hours a week playing a game that you love and that will just inspire you and then you know a, a few other hours so I don't know what the range is maybe it can be three to ten five to ten this I don't think there's an exact science for me it's um I think what happens is when I'm feeling like I've reached a threshold that I can't pass I don't force myself right like I I you know you take a break it's almost like sometimes when I'm reading um books if I'm reading like a gargantuan novel or something I'll also simultaneously be reading a, something lighter and nice so that I can like turn to that when I'm like ah, I want to throw this book <laughs> on the wall because it's too too long or something and I'm just not you know I'm a bit daunted by that concept um and so maybe it's you know you ensuring that you're taking breaks if you know I can imagine the content that you're going through that um has very heavy themes you shouldn't have to force yourself to um, so consume that if you're in a specific, you know, mental or emotional state that's not ready for that. Yeah, I'll even like take it one step further and say like one thing that I've found really helpful, especially if you're in the games industry and you work from home, is that you're most of the time the the place where you play games will be the same place that you work. And so, at the moment, I've been like playing games but on my phone, like in a different room because it makes it feel separate to games on my, my computer. And then it's, I don't know what it is. I think it's just having a physical different space to be able to dedicate to not work is so good for like compartmentalizing it in my head. I fully appreciate that. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why I love this is going to be biased, of course, but um, Niantic games, because um, so much of the focus is about playing a game while you're walking outside in the real world. And I found myself just taking breaks, um, walking outside, playing the games that I'm working on or playing, you know, Niantic titles. And I'm like, okay, this is so nice because it's a separate context. Um, and I absolutely agree. I think, um, so I tend to work on one device and then I have my gamer PC and it's nice when I make that switch, I think, okay, now I'm playing this, you know, game. This yeah. is my gamer environment. And yeah. um, so I know that there's like a different context. Yeah, totally. Like I have a PlayStation there. So even if I've got the game on PC, I'm like, I'm not going to play it on PC. I need to walk around, even if I just need to go outside and come back and none of my work tabs are open. Maybe even that helps a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, what have been like, do you think the most impactful titles for you that you've played? Yeah, um, Breath of the Wild, certainly, I would say Zelda is definitely, I'm wearing a Triforce necklace right now, <laughs> like, nice. this is definitely my, <laughs> um, one of the games that really inspired me to want to join the industry, actually, um, I'm definitely a Nintendo head, while well, I play a lot of PlayStation games as well, like, I, um, I actually, another thing is, um, a lot of couch co-op uh, games that I appreciated and you know I was playing It Takes Two uh, earlier this year and I think wow this is amazing from a game design perspective just in terms of the sheer uh, nature of it and in that it's something that you really have to focus on collaboration and I love that aspect of things in, in terms of for multiplayer games mm -hmm. um, but also first first person experiences and just the the way that you can um experience empathy through through video games um you mentioned animal crossing before i mean that was a massive title and it's actually one of the titles that um received um not just critical acclaim but also for um 
you know, there was that Oxford study that that revealed that yeah, it was yeah, actually yeah. there was a correlation between mental health and and Animal Crossing. Um, and that was something that I know served as a haven for a lot of people uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, nothing can really go wrong in Animal Crossing unless, like, you know, you see a tarantula or, you know, scorpion or something. But other than that, it's pretty safe and it's just a nice place to just unwind. Like, I know so many people, especially with the collaborative sort of approach who met up with each other. Like, I I went back to old school RuneScape, of all things, during the pandemic. It's amazing. Um, I loved it so much. I'd not played it since I was a kid. And then I finally had a... A computer that was able to play it because uh, my MacBook's terrible and it doesn't work with that sort of thing. But um, I played it and I met up with my childhood best friend who also lived in London, but we were separated at the time because she had COVID and it was just chaos. And so we both just like grabbed a drink, got on old school RuneScape yes. and just played for like three hours. And it was the most fun I've had in so long. Um, that is so glorious. Um, I started playing or uh, WoW Classic because they had reopened the servers. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is beautiful. I'm just here for it in Azeroth. Like, let's just chill. Yeah, honestly, there's... Um, it's a nostalgic element too if you played this. It is a nostalgic. A yeah. yeah, I love that though. I really miss that. And I think that's like a huge thing for everyone even like there's always going to be nostalgia for games although it does make me a bit nervous that people are playing games that are considered old that I played as a kid and I'm like wait no that's not old that's not old I'm not old it's fine (laughs) um but yeah I uh I love that I mean have so Breath of the Wild of course a classic I um recently only found out that that there were a lot more Korok seeds than I originally thought there were. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm devastated. Oh, no. Because <laughs> there's hundreds. I and know. I'm just like, I had like 30 and was really proud of myself. <laughs> yes, there's so much depth. Yeah. <laughs> have there any? Have there been any games that kind of have really supported you mental health-wise or maybe made you look at things in a different light or really brought out an emotional side like for me I've had a lot of I've had a lot of feelings over a lot of games but like the like it's very narrative driven it's often like telltale like the walking dead sort of games where the choices matter and stuff destroys me um and like the last of us and, and things like that really like if I can connect to a character, I'm done for. Like, I'll need to spend some time away after I've finished it. Have, have you had any of those sorts of experiences or was that, like, with Breath of the Wild? Uh, well, I definitely did, yes, with, with Breath of the Wild. But also Life is Strange, I think, is one of <sighs> yeah. those games that, um, yeah, definitely struck all those chords, right, <laughs> in terms of what you've just described with making choices and... Um, Heavy Rain was another one that I played, you know, a while back. No one talks about like, Heavy Rain. I know. It's, I this love is such Heavy an old Rain. school game, but I, I loved it. And <laughs> even just the moment it starts and the, the controls and it makes you feel like, I just remember brushing my teeth and like <laughs> you know, moving around and I thought, wow, this is amazing that I can like be doing something so mundane, but feel so much. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, and that just really was like tugged on my, all the strings. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think, and there are so many more, of course, like you mentioned, The Last of Us. And this is, again, like, there's so, oh, there's so many games to, to play and, and explore. And we need, there's not enough time. <laughs> there is not enough time. I, I got Game Pass and like, I love it, but I hate it because there's so many games on there that I was like, oh, I'll play it one day. And now I have access to everything. 
and no time to play any of it. <laughs> and it's stressing me out, but it's fine. <laughs> but no, it's interesting that you said life is strange as well, because in the previous episode to this, um, we spoke to uh, Katie Bentz, who is the voice actor for Steph. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And she was talking about how much it has a real life impact on people who play and how like she as a, as a character has connected to people who've been able to like come out because of the game and wow. I was like that's so cool and it's so powerful how that can happen because it's just like it's so real I don't know and it makes the stories even more important so definitely yeah very cool but um yeah thank you so much for um for coming on the podcast thank you it's so much been... for having me but where can people find you online if they're looking to learn more about what you're doing or learn more about the all of the amazing things that you're involved with thank you so much it's been such a pleasure uh yeah i'm i'm on twitter and and linkedin um my twitter handle is at k reyes uh one two one um and uh i think there you'll find all my info so my dms are open and i'm more than happy to chat amazing thank you thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of safe space if you're struggling please know that there is support out there and if you're looking for somewhere to start please do visit our website at safeforourworld.org for a list of global helplines information and support you can also find us on all of the social medias at safe in our world if you'd like to follow the charity in our future endeavors thanks for listening and we'll see you next time